0: Rex Heurman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk Long Island serial killer podcast, was shocked when the news broke of Rex Heurman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Heurman. Initially charged with three murders, Heurman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo Four case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the Lisp Podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Huberman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the Lisp Podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes, and if you haven't already, please listen to Seasons 1 and 2 of LISC, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep Podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep Podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Five terrifying criminals from the 90s. The 90s were a time for grunge, Doc Martens, and Nintendo. While these things were innocent enough, lurking underneath this decade was a series of individuals committing some of the most heinous and horrendous acts imaginable. These are five terrifying criminals from the 90s. Number 5 Chester Turner During the 80s and 90s, at least five serial killers operated in southern Los Angeles. But out of them, Chester Turner is one of the most prolific the city had ever seen. Between 1987 and 1998, Turner murdered 11 people. Born born in Warren, Arkansas, he moved to L.A. when he was just five years old. He dropped out of high school but stayed in L.A., jumping from one homeless shelter to another after his mother left for Utah. It was here when he started his killing spree. Many of Turner's victims were found within a four-block radius running from both sides of Figueroa Street and between Gage Avenue and 108th Street. The first victim found was 21-year-old Diane Johnson on March 9, 1987. She was discovered half-naked, sexually assaulted, and strangled. Months later, a passing motorist found the body of 26-year-old Annette Ernest by the highway. In January of 89, another body was found in the area, that of 31-year-old Anita Fishman. Turner also killed another woman in September of the same year, 27-year-old Regina Washington was found strangled, her body located in a detached garage of a vacant home. During the investigation police discover she was 6 months pregnant at the time of her death. Turner killed two more women in 1993, Andrea Triplett and Desiree Jones, both of whom were strangled. He killed two more in 1995 and 96. There are also victims killed outside the Figueroa Street corridor and attributed to Turner, and these were Paula Vance and Brenda Breeze. Between 1995 to 2000, Turner was sent to jail six times for various crimes, including an assault of an officer and cruelty to an animal. By March of 2002, he had raped a woman and held her for two hours, threatening to kill her if she told police. He let her go, and she eventually did report the incident, and Turner was sentenced to eight years in prison. He was required to submit a DNA sample, and it was here that his DNA was matched to the deaths of Vance and a 45-year-old woman named Mildred Beasley. Her body had been discovered partially nude and strangled off the 101 freeway in 1996. Detectives carefully examined Turner's background and linked him to 11 murders in total. As a result, a convicted part-time janitor David Allen Jones was also released and exonerated for serving time for crimes done by Turner that he had been jailed for. On June of 2014, Turner was convicted of an additional four murders, bringing his total kill count to 15. Chester received a death sentence on June 26, 2014, and is currently sitting on death row. Number four, Alexander Pachuskin. Considered as one of the most deranged and prolific serial killers in Russian history, Alexander Sasha Pichuskin is known as the chessboard killer and the Bitsa Park maniac since he killed almost all his victims at the Besevsky Park in Moscow. Little is known about his early life, but his mother said he suffered a head injury at the age of four when he was struck in the forehead by a swing. As he got older, he was bullied for being slow. However, his grandfather noticed he was extremely intelligent and took him in. He taught him how to play chess and they regularly visited Bitsa Park to play exhibition games against the elderly men there. Playing the game seemed to channel the teen's aggression, however, his grandfather died unexpectedly and that's when Alexander had to move back home. To dull the pain of loss, he began drinking vodka. It's believed Alexander committed his first murder at the age of 18 in 1992. He killed the boyfriend of a neighbor he had fallen in love with. Many believe he also killed the girl, Olga, since her body was found in Bitsa Park in 2002. After that, he didn't kill again until 2001, but this would be the start of a five-year killing spree. From 2001 to 2006, he played chess regularly in Bitsa Park. Afterwards, he would invite these homeless elderly gentlemen for a drink of vodka, usually in a quiet area of the park. Alexander waited until his victims were intoxicated, then he would attack them with a blow to the head using a hammer or pipe. Sometimes he would push them into a sewer pit, and other times just leave them where they lie. Some victims survived, but most died, and over time he became more savage. It wasn't enough to bludgeon his victims, so he started leaving behind a broken vodka bottle sticking out of their skulls. By 2003, newspaper headlines proclaimed a fear of the Betsevsky maniac. In 2006, this killer was working at a supermarket alongside 36-year-old Marina Moskolyova. When her body turned up dead in the park, police found a metro ticket in her pocket. This led to a surveillance tape capturing Marina with Alexander prior to her death. On top of that, Marina also left a note for her son containing Alexander's full name and the place where they were meeting in case of an emergency. Pachushkin was finally arrested. When police searched his apartment, they discovered a chessboard containing dates on 62 of the 64 squares on the board. The dates indicated the time when he murdered or killed someone and he was only two murders away from completing the board. Despite this, he was only charged with 51 counts of murder and later on guided police to where he killed his victims in the park. In October of 2007, the jury deliberated for three hours before finding Alexander guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison with the first 15 years in solitary confinement. With the heinous and despicable nature of his crimes, it caused a renewed interest in Russia reinstituting the death penalty. Number 3. Herb Bomeister To the townspeople of Westfield, Indiana, Herb Bomeister was a successful entrepreneur and family man. The oldest of four children, he was considered normal during childhood, but by adolescence something inside him had changed. His father, a doctor, sent his son for tests and Herb was diagnosed as schizophrenic with a multiple personality disorder. It's unclear if he received treatment, but by college he was still an outcast due to his odd behavior. However, it was here that he met his future wife, Juliana Sater. After being fired from a 10-year-long job in 1979, Herb was looking for work. Juliana returned to the workforce while Herb watched the children. Unknown to his wife, it was then that Herb began frequenting gay bars. The next three years saw him bouncing from job to job until he landed a gig at a thrift shop. He studied it carefully and soon he and Juliana opened their first save-a-lot thrift store. It was a success and after three years, the couple were fairly well off. They moved to their dream home in 1991, dubbed as Fox Hollow Farms. But as the business grew, the marriage began falling apart. Juliana and their three children would often stay at her mother's place instead of at home. Soon, the business began crumbling too, and Herb started drinking heavily. At the same time, Indiana police were tracking down missing persons and possible murders in Indianapolis. Former Marion County Sheriff Virgil Vandegrift was among the first to believe the possibility that there was a serial killer hunting gay men. The parents of Roger Goodlit, who was 32, and 28-year-old Alan Broussard had reported the men missing after they had headed out to a gay bar. After searching for clues, Vandegrift met a man named Tony Harris who told the story of meeting a man named Brian Smart at a bar and he suspected that this guy killed his friend Roger. Harris had gone home with Smart one night and said that Smart attempted to kill him during an autoerotic asphyxiation session. But since he didn't take the drinks offered by Smart and was larger in build, he didn't pass out and left the place alive. He couldn't recall or fully remember the area where he was taken, but described it as having an indoor pool with mannequins around. Vandegrift also became aware of multiple missing men aside from Goodlett and Broussard who disappeared in Indianapolis over the last few years. He also found out about the I-70 murders. Between 1989 and 1990, multiple bodies, nine men to be exact, were dumped along the I-70 highway between Ohio and Indianapolis. One eyewitness identified Herb Bowmeister as being seen with one of the victims in the I-70 murders. Griff got the local Indiana police involved. By chance, Harris met Smart once again in a gay bar in August of 1995. He noted his license plate number and gave this to an Indianapolis detective named Mary Wilson. The car led back, of course, to Herbert Bowmeister, and police then approached him directly, telling him he was a suspect and they asked to search his house. He refused. Juliana also refused, but by 1996, she gave police consent to search their 18-acre property while Bomeister was on vacation. When they approached the backyard area, it was clear the pebbles and fragments on the ground where the children played weren't rocks, but bone fragments. A total of 5,500 of them were found on the property. It's estimated the fragments belonged to 11 different men, but only four could be positively identified as belonging to Roger Goodlitt, Stephen Hale, Richard Hamilton, and Manuel Resendez. Once news of the bones at his home was broadcasted, Bo Meister disappeared. He crossed into Canada, and on July 3, 1996, his body was found inside his vehicle at Pinery Provincial Park in Ontario. He had shot himself in the head. He left a three-page suicide note, citing his failing business and marriage as the reason for suicide, but never mentioned any one of the murders. Later on, he was positively linked as being the I-70 murderer with the help of Juliana. She provided receipts for the times when Bomeister traveled through the highway and out of town, and police matched this with the murder dates. Officially, Herb Bomeister killed 27 men, and it's likely he had many more victims. Number 2. Michael Forneray A French national, Michael Fourneret, was in his 60s and lived with his wife, Monique, and their baby son in a stunning historical home dubbed as the Castle of Ardennes, located in Ardennes, France. Between 1987 and 2001, Michael Stockton killed nine people and left a multitude of molestation victims in his wake. Born in Ardennes, France, he was problematic since his early childhood, the son of a metalworker and farmer. Michael had an above-average IQ, liked to play chess and listen to classical music. As an adult, he married but shifted jobs until he got his first conviction for rape and the assault of minors. He was 24 years old at the time, and it ended his first marriage. He married again and had three children, but the marriage dissolved after he was arrested again for rape and the assault of minors. While serving prison time, he placed an ad in a Catholic magazine asking for a pen pal. It was answered by monique olivier a nurse and mom of three she made michael promise to kill her husband and in turn she said she would help him hunt virgins michael never fulfilled his end of the bargain but olivier did so by the time michael was released from prison in 1987 olivier was waiting for him about two months later the couple's crime spree began on december 11 1987 using separate vehicles The two targeted 17-year-old Isabella Laville. With Olivier faking to ask for direction, she lured the girl into her car and took her to where Michael was waiting by the road while he pretended his car had broken down. When Olivier offered to give him a ride, he got inside the car and then choked Laville with a rope while Olivier injected her with Rohypnol. They brought the girl home where Michael raped and strangled her. They then threw her body down an unused well. And she wasn't recovered until 2006. In 1988, Michael was contacted by Farida Hamich, the wife of his former prison cellmate Jean Pierre. See, Jean Pierre was a bank robber and stashed their loot in a secret location, so his wife asked Michael for help in retrieving the stash composed of gold coins. He did, and she gave him 500,000 francs for the troubles. Weeks later on April 12, Michael and Olivier decided they would steal the remaining loot from Farida's apartment. They lured her for a drive and then killed her. The couple took the money and bought the now famous Chateau de Soutou in Donchery. As for Farida's body, that's never been found. The couple continued on with their tag team murder streak. Even when Olivier was pregnant with their child, she still assisted in luring girls. After their child was born, There was also evidence they brought him along during their abductions. Their last known murder together was in November of 1990, where they abducted and killed 13 year old Natasha Danis. Another man was falsely accused and arrested for this crime. After a supposed 10 year break from killing and abducting, Michael moved his family to Belgium, where he killed two more young girls. In June of 2003, he was finally arrested after a failed abduction of a Belgian girl. He was held in detention and finally charged with murder when Olivier confessed to the police that she had assisted him in various abductions and murders. Michael was sentenced to life in prison without parole, while Olivier was sentenced to the same with the possibility of parole after 28 years. Although the official number of victims for these two sits at nine, it's believed they may have killed many more. Number 1. Cedric Make In just one year between 1996 and 1997, Cedric Make terrorized Johannesburg, South Africa. Police were baffled when several murders and assaults started popping up in two different clusters. The Brixton Murder and Robbery Unit of the South African Police Service thought they were dealing with two different murderers so they created two profiles based on the pattern. The first were for the Hammer Murders. This killer attacked mostly Indian tailors coming from the inner city area. They attacked their victims inside their shops using a hammer. He would bludgeon them to death and sometimes steal items, but not always. This second profile had two distinct patterns within it. The first involved men and women who were ambushed as they walked alone and then were bludgeoned to death with large rocks. The second involved couples inside their cars in the Wemmer Pan area where the killer would shoot the men and rape the women. Despite the heavy investigation, the crimes baffled police until they finally found Make as a suspect for the wemmer murders in December of 97. His connection to the Hammer murders was discovered the following month when Make took superintendent Pate Bilveld to a pawn shop where he had sold a victim's bicycle. On the receipt, Make used the name Patrick McWenna The same alias was found on one of the murdered tailor's receipts wherein Make used the same alias to check in a shirt. His killings were the first to use geographic information systems and crime mapping technology to map out serial killings. During geographic profiling, it was discovered many of Make's murders were held in two of his residences, the area where he worked, and the residences of his girlfriend and brother. During the trial, Make was charged with 36 counts of murder. 28 attempted murders, 15 rapes, and 46 counts of aggravated robbery. Overall, of the 134 charges lobbied against him, he was found guilty of 114 of these. He was sentenced to 27 life sentences, including 1,159 years and 3 months in prison. So there were 5 terrifying criminals from the 90s. While well, these are just some of the worst criminals from that era, there are many others just like them. No matter where you look, during what time, each decade has its own horrifying serial monsters intent on killing and terrorizing victims. If you liked this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel because every Wednesday and Saturday we have new videos coming out that we know you'll want to check out. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.